Good morning. Uh, it's so good to see you uh, this morning. Glad that you're here. I'm going to continue our sermon series in, in the book of Revelation, and we're looking at the different letters to the churches. And uh, this morning, I'm going to be talking to you about the letter that was written to the church in Thyatira and look at some things and uh, hopefully be able to, to uh, see some things that might apply to our lives and how we can uh, make some decisions to better live for the way that God wants us to. If you would, uh, turn in the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. The book of Revelation is easy one to find. It's the very last book of the Bible. If you're thumbing through, just flip all the way to the back. If you've gotten to the concordance, you're too far. Just slip back the other way. And look, chapter 2. And I'm going to read this entire letter uh, to, the, to the church. You follow along starting in verse 18. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So, I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am, the, I am uh, he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have, learned Satan's, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. He will rule them with an iron scepter. Excuse me, verse 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now that is a, one of the long, if not, I think, the longest letter to the churches here as he's trying to talk to them about what's going on in their life. Now one thing that I want to, uh, I want to make sure that, that we all understand and make sure that we're on the same page is to realize that this letter was written to the angel of the church in Thyatira. And Cliff talked about that, the idea of the, this concept. And it's nice to, to think if it's that way in today's time, that there's an angel that's kind of watching over us and that's kind of responsible for us. And that's, that's pretty cool to think. But this was written to the angel. And, of course, the content was for the church in Thyatira. So, he could, so that could be distributed to those who are in that church. Now, when we talk about the church and letters being written to the church, and he's talking about things that the church is doing good and things that the church is doing wrong, who is the church? You can talk. Who? It's people, isn't it? Not just anybody, but it's all believers in Jesus Christ. That's the church. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are part of what the Bible talks about as the church. 
anybody who has believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is a part of the church, whether they be here in Greer or across the world or wherever else. We're, we're all part of what God calls His church. And what happens is, is we, uh, as believers, we gather in local places to represent that larger church. Like we're here at Freedom Fellowship. There are other churches in Greer and in Taylor's and other areas. And if we're believers in Jesus Christ, we're all part of God's church and we choose to represent Him and function and operate in local uh, places. This is the same thing that's going on in these letters. You got the letter to the church in Thyatira. It was a, it was a community. It was a town. It was the believers who gathered in that area. And Sardis and Pergamum and all that was the same kind of thing. It were believers who gathered in a local area. So the reason I, I want you to make sure that you understand this is that when we read this and we think about it and we say, oh, that letter is written to the church, that we don't somehow think that that letter is implied to some institution or some organization or just for maybe certain leaders within a local congregation. These letters are written to people who are believers in Jesus Christ who have chosen, uh, have chosen to gather wherever they have and the letter is to the individuals who make up what is that church in that local area. Does that make sense? And the reason I want to emphasize that is I don't want us to look at it and think, oh yeah, that's for the church. If you are a believer especially, when we read this and when we think about it, that's for me. It's for you. It's for anybody who is a believer if we can draw some kind of uh, ideas from this and to help us. So here's something that's important uh, to understand as he writes to this church and the other churches as well. Because we all uh, contribute as believers to what's happening in the church, every believer must take responsibility for what is happening in the church. Every believer must take responsibility for what's happening in the church. Now, you, you probably know when uh, the church is known for what it does or has a reputation in the community for, for what happens. And what happens is what the people in that gathered congregation do, right? And so that could be positive and negative. Um, you can maybe uh, think of churches in this area. You may come up where maybe you used to live somewhere else, or you can think of a church, and when you hear the name of that church, automatically you would say something like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a loving church, that's a, that's a great church. Or you might say, yeah, that church has got some problems. Those, you know, that church is, is rude, and they're not welcoming to people, and you could come up with ideas. Well, the reason that we have those concepts is because we associate that with the actions of the people in that church. It's not like... Freedom Fellowship is some kind of entity somehow, and it's going to portray its image to the community without people seeing what you and I do and how this church functions. So it's important to understand when, when, when he's writing these letters, he's, this information is to the people that make up the church. It's because their actions is what's presented to the community. And there's a saying that we say that, you know, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. And it's similar in the church to where you think about, well, what is Freedom Fellowship known for? What does Freedom Fellowship do? And a good way to, to have an idea of that is ask yourself, how am I portraying in the way that I act, in the way that I live, that people would say, oh, that's Freedom Fellowship Church, because they will associate us with what's going on here. So that makes sense, right? So just make sure it's an individual 
thing, but it also reflects collectively as that body gathers together and as they do whatever they do. In this case, they were doing some good stuff, and then there were also some bad things that, that was going on. So uh, let's look at the good, verse 19. Verse 19 starts out great, right? He says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Man, that's just, how, how much better can that get, right? I mean, if you wanted a report card, if uh, Freedom Fellowship wanted a report card on how we're doing, I would love to hear all that stuff. Man, you guys are, you're loving and you're serving and you're persevering and, and you're not just slack. I mean, you're, you're moving on. You're doing more than you did at first. You guys are on, you guys are going with it. This is great. We'd just love to hear that. If, if uh, you wanted to get a report in your individual life as a believer and God would say those words to you, man, you're, you're persevering, you're loving, and, and give you all those things, that would, that would be great, wouldn't it? And he says you're doing all these things and you're doing them even, even more so than you did at the first. So that's great. But very quickly it takes a turn. <laughs> and he says the word... Nevertheless, <laughs> I said, oh man, which, which almost just kind of, all right, negates everything that I just said. You're doing this, 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 but nevertheless, here's what he wanted to focus on. The, the, there's an opportunity for a letter to be written to this church so that this church can hear what's going on, and he mentions the good stuff, but in essence, I think what's going on here is he's saying, but let me get to the root of the matter. Let me get to why I'm writing this letter. Let me explain to you what's going on. In case y'all are not aware of what's going on, I'm going to tell you what's happening and give you an alternative of, of some things that you can do. So, in verse 20 and 21, here's the problem, as we read just a while ago. It says, uh, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess by her teaching. She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now just let that set in for just a minute. And here's the problem. Jezebel. We even in our culture today, people still use that term. She's just a Jezebel. She's acting like, have you ever heard anybody say that? This, this person, Jezebel, is associated with all of these wicked things. Even uh, in the Old Testament, you can go back and there was a Jezebel who was a heathen princess, and for some reason, Ahab, the king of Israel, married this woman. Some of the stuff that I read said this was the first time it's ever recorded that, this, that the king of Israel had married a heathen woman. So this king, supposedly of Israel, supposed to be this godly man, marries this heathen woman, who is known for all kinds of practices of sexual immorality and sacrificing the gods and all the kind of stuff that just went totally against the Christian beliefs and what God would have people, how God would have people to live. So here he's saying that, that here's this woman Jezebel who is this problem and you're, you're, you're tolerating what's going on. Here's all the things that she did. Now if you listened to the sermon last week when Cliff talked about things that was going on in the other church, the idea of sexual immorality. There was a lot of this going on. The stuff that he mentioned with the temple prostitutes and the orgies and all the different stuff that was going on that was an obvious sin. And just not, it's not enough that just those things in and of themselves were a sin. 
but it was the idea that they were being done in such a way as that people were doing that as if it was some sacrifice to a god. This was an act of worship for them, supposedly. And they were doing this as a sacrifice to all these different gods. And the food that was being eaten had been first sacrificed and offered up to these false gods. And by eating that food and participating in that, people were condoning this false worship of God. So all of this stuff that's going on was just in the face of God, the true one God. And all of these things were being offered as acts of worship to other gods. So he says that, that here's Jezebel, she's got all these things, and here's all of these things that are going on. But here's the thing that I want to focus on for just a minute. If you look, look at verse 20, and I, I just read it, and there's a word here that I don't want you to miss. It says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You, what's the next word? Say it out loud. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. And basically, everything else she stands for and all the stuff that she's doing. You tolerate her. Now, now this is interesting. Just think about this. The, the word that's translated here as tolerate, the word literally means to let be or to leave in peace. So basically it was, you know, by tolerating, they just, they didn't do anything about it. They, they let it go. They just let it alone. They left it all in peace. They didn't, they didn't bother to say anything, didn't bother to do anything. Here this woman was practicing and teaching and misleading all these people. People saw what was going on, and he says, this is what I have against you. Now, obviously it was that they were participating because he mentions it later, but he says this, I have this against you. You're tolerating what's going on. You're not trying to stand up against it. You're not trying to say, hey, this is wrong. You're not trying to say, this is God's church. We shouldn't be uh, doing this kind of thing. We shouldn't behave it, be uh, behaving this kind of way. He said, you're just letting it be. You're letting her alone. You're letting her walk around. It's like the elephant that's in the room that nobody wants to talk about. You pretend like everything's fine when things are not fine, and you're just tolerating, you're letting this be. It's kind of like... Uh, um, uh, kind of like a ball team who only wants to play offense. There's no defense involved. There's no protecting their home turf. There's nothing going on. They just, they just want to play offense. They don't want to protect what's going on. So he, he really had a problem with that. And if you, uh, you can back up and look at those first couple of verses there, 18 and 19, where he talks about having the feet uh, the eyes like blazing fire and the feet like burnished bronze. And that symbolism was just this righteous indignation that was going on because all of this was happening. So as, as you think about what's going on, he says, here's the problem that I have. Not only are you participating in this, you are tolerating what's going on. And that's the problem that I have. So uh, this is what I want you to think about. And you say, well, what do you mean, um, What's so bad about that? You know, they, you know, some some people were doing good. It even says they were doing good. It even says they were doing more than they had done. You know, in the beginning, what's the problem with that? Are you saying that I should go around and judge people? Is that what God wants me to do? Does He want me to be the judge? No, you're not the judge. But what I think God does want us to do is He wants us to stand up for what we believe. He wants us to practice what we say we believe. He wants us not to go around and be the moral police for everybody. I don't want you to go back to work and be looking for somebody who does something wrong. You'd probably be better by just looking in the mirror before you leave to go to work and dealing with that person before you would be to try to fix everybody else, right? So it's not this idea that we should be running around with a, with a magnifying glass inspecting everybody's lives and telling them what they're doing wrong. But here, this was within the church, 
This was as they gathered, and this was happening right under their nose, and it was an obvious, blatant thing that was going on, and nobody was choosing to say anything about it. And I think it is a biblical concept uh, that we don't practice enough that with fellow believers and sisters in Christ, that within church, when we see somebody doing something that is obviously wrong, that may be harmful to them, a lot of times we will tolerate that. We'll turn our backs and pretend we didn't see it because we don't want to say anything, because we don't want to be judging, or we don't want those people to get mad at me. But the idea of, I would hope, and I'll give you permission as I stand here, if you see me ever involved in things that you think are obviously sinful and harmful to me, I, I would be offended if you did not tell me. a true. Per- if you really love me, you would bring that to my attention. It would be like seeing someone standing in the street and seeing a Greyhound bus coming down the road knowing that they were going to get smushed and you looking at them and looking at the bus and saying, well, you know, if I, I don't want to holler at them. You know, maybe you know, they might be offended. Well, then you just turn your back and you walk off and then they get killed, right? So within the church, and again, this isn't a, it isn't a license. He's not talking about snooping around in people's lives. He's not talking about being the judge and pretending like you're holier than thou. But there is this idea of, I think, within the church that we shouldn't let be. We shouldn't let things go. We shouldn't tolerate things that are obviously harmful to a person and harmful to God's church. It's something that we should, I think we should take heed to. And done in the right way. Not done hatefully, not done in a way that degrades the person, but just to be able to say in a loving way, hey, I'm not sure you want to be involved in that. Are you, this is not very good for you. This, you're not living the way that God says that, that you should live. We, I think that we should be able to do that with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that wasn't going on here. And even to the extreme that they were, uh, they were going so far as to just let it go and not say anything about what was going on. Our culture, for I don't know how long, but especially recently, within the last 20 years, I guess, I've noticed it in my own life as things have gone along. We, we promote this idea that we should just, you know, we, need, we should be, and we use the word, we should be tolerant. Well, you should just be tolerant with everybody and everybody's beliefs. And Cliff kind of mentioned that, you know, it's all good. Everybody's going toward the same road we're all making the same way just you call it christianity we call it mormonism and you call it you know it's just it's all good and and we should just tolerate everybody because you know people are different and that's what makes the world go around and there is some truth to that and there are areas in our lives that we should be willing to set ourselves aside and and allow you know somebody else's opinion take place or whatever but when it comes to things that are spiritual when it comes to things that are obviously, scripturally, they're wrong, that we should not tolerate those things. Now, again, let me put this in context to make sure that you don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you go to work and you have a co-worker who is not a believer and they use foul language and, you know, they, they come in on drugs and they talk about their partying and their nights out with the women and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that you should pull out your big cross and, you know, away from me, right? For two reasons. One, we're talking about a person who's not a believer. 
So there's an opportunity for us to be able to witness to them and love them and help them understand that God loves them and God wants them to turn to Him. There's a big difference. But I'm also not saying that maybe you work with people who are believers and, and um, you choose just to avoid them because maybe you heard them say a bad word and you don't want to be associated with anybody who uses bad words. It's not that kind of thing. This, kind, this idea was that if you are around people and you put your life in an area where obvious things are going on and you tolerate it, and you are with it, the chances are great. The longer you are part of it, the longer you tolerate it, the easier it is for you to be sucked into it and pulled into it yourself. And that's what happened with these people. He said they tolerated it and, he, and said that her teachings were misleading. He says, my servants. These weren't lost heathens who were looking for a place to party. These are people who were being sucked in to a false teaching because whatever was going on, it was attractive to them. So because of their tolerating this and not standing up for it, we are, if we do that, we're more susceptible to being sucked into that as well. So we need to, I think, take heed to what he's telling these churches and and think about that in our own lives. You know, where are the areas in in your life where uh, maybe you're tolerating some things that you shouldn't tolerate? Where are the areas in your life where maybe it's time for you to stand up for what you believe instead of just always being silent and going along with what people are doing and what people say? Not hatefully, not angrily, not, not in a way that portrays you as somebody who's holier than thou, but being able to speak your mind and stand up for what you believe. If we don't do that, we let that pass, and we are, in essence, no better than these people here because we are letting that be. We're letting that go unchallenged, um, and it's not the thing that I think God wants us to do. So it's important to see what's happening there, and the idea of tolerating that. Uh, is, is, I think, just a big deal that we need to take a look at. Now, the next thing is, you know, we heard what they done, what they did well, what they, how they were doing and the good things they were doing. And then here's the problem that they had with tolerating the sin and participating in the sin. And then verse 22 and 23 says what's going to happen to them. This is pretty strong language, verses uh, 22 and 23. It says, so... I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. That's some pretty strong language, isn't it? And he says, listen, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be some major suffering and pain intensely if you guys keep this up and not only for jezebel and what's going on but when he says i will kill her children that's just a, another idea of those people who are associating with her and who are following her that if you're if you're in this and you're participating in this there's going to be some some things that are going to happen that that are not going to be very pleasing to you because god means business he's not playing around god's not willing to tolerate that he's not playing around. Now, there's there, the irony that, that I discovered in here I thought was pretty interesting, and you might find it to be that as well. When he uses uh, well, the word back up in the first verses that we read, when he says, this is, the sin, this is the thing I have against you, you tolerate Jezebel, that word means, as I said, to let be or to leave in peace. But the literal word actually means suffering. Or to suffer. 
Now, this is interesting because now in this verse that we just read, it's a different word. It's not the same as that, but it's also translated as suffer. Now, the way that the word is translated up in the former verse, Matthew 19, 14, I believe it is, when Jesus says in the King James Version, the kids are all around him, and you know that verse where it says, uh, Jesus says, suffer the little children unto me. That's the same word that's used that's translated as tolerate up in the first part of the verse. So Jesus is saying, let them be. Leave them in peace. Don't bother these kids. Let them be able to come to me. Now, in this other verse that we just read, Jesus says, I, uh, the, the angel was written, and, and God says to this church, that I will put her on a bed of suffering. That word is also suffer. So in a sense, what Jesus is saying, because you suffer her teachings, literally let it be, I'm going to make you suffer with pain and punishment. Isn't that kind of funny? He uses almost the same concept that because you're suffering these people, letting them let it be, I'm going to make you suffer. The other interesting thing is this. With a lot of the sexual immorality and the things that went on with what he's talking about here, a lot of that took place on a bed. And then the word translated where he says, I will put you on a bed of suffering. You're laying down on a bed for all these other things. I'm going to put you on a bed that's not going to be so enjoyable to you, and it's going to be pain and suffering, and it's going to be very intense. So God was very serious about what was going on. There's, there's no room to say, well, it's okay. Well, you know, well, it's not okay for everybody. You know, it might be okay for them, but it's not okay for me. Hogwash. There are things in Scripture that are black and white, and these are things that are black and white. God says, you don't need to have any part of this in your life. It's not like, well, it might be okay for some people. And it's not. It's just black and white. It's wrong. And, and God says, I don't put up with that. And there's going to be, there's going to be a problem uh, if, if you guys don't do something about that. So um, here, is, here is what, um, what he says for the solution to this problem. It's kind of simple. But people weren't necessarily willing to listen. Verses 21 and 22. Jesus says, I have given her, meaning Jezebel, I have given her time to, what's that word? Repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So, I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer and intensely unless they what repent of her ways so this is the cool thing of a lot of things about god he knows all this is going on he sees how destructive it is he sees how disobedient it is he sees that they are selling him out for other gods and other things and he still says listen i know all that's going on but if you'll repent from that Things will be good. I mean, he, he gives us chances. He gives us an opportunity to say, I'm sorry. He gives us an opportunity to say, forgive me. I know that's not right. He gives us an opportunity, what the Bible calls, to repent. Now, Cliff mentioned that again the other week when he talked about it. But just for a few more minutes, I want to say a few more things about that. The idea of repentance and make sure that we know what that means. Repentance is a great biblical concept mentioned a lot in the bible and the idea is that we as sinful people 
if we are doing things like what was going on here, especially the sinful actions that were going on, that we're basically walking a particular direction. We're walking in that way. We're participating in these things. And God says, if you will repent. Repent doesn't mean just to turn. It doesn't mean just to turn. It means to turn from what you're doing that is wrong and turn to what is right. Does that make sense? So if I know, and I I've did this, uh, I think, years ago, and I'm sure every one of you remember this illustration. That was a joke. You, thank you. Okay. If, just for illustration's sake, if, we were to, if I were to say, uh, walking up this aisle right here, if we would all agree that this is the way that God wants us to go. Biblically, we know this is the path He wants us to take. Okay? It's this path right here. This is God's way. It's not these other ways. It's this way. It's God's way. If in my sinful nature I'm walking in this path and God convicts me and, hey, this is wrong, you should repent. Repenting is not just turning and going this way. Repenting is not just turning and saying, I think I'll go that way. Repenting is turning from the direction that I'm going, which is sinful, and going toward this way which is God's way. Any other direction is not repentance. It's just acknowledging that you're doing wrong and you're going to try something different. And we do that by, um, oh, hey, I don't really like the way my life's going. I just need to get better at reading my Bible. I need to get better at that. I just need to get better at that. So I'm, and that's not a bad thing. But to be able to know that if there's an action that's going on in our life, it's more than just thinking you can do more to make it better. It's to make sure that when you turn from that, that you're headed the way that God wants you to go. Which means that those actions should be cut out. Not, I think I'll still do it a little bit, and I'll just read my Bible a little bit more, and maybe things will get better. It's the idea of I am turning from this. When I turn from my sinful way, I am turning my back on that. I am putting it in the past. I'm going away from it and going toward the way that God wants me to go. It's not repentance. It's not this. Oh, hey, uh, God wants me to change because I'm doing some sinful things. I think, I'll, I think I will. Or maybe you want to do this. And you want to pretend like you're going God's way, but you still want to take a look at all the other stuff that's going on. That's not repentance. And that will get you absolutely nowhere. You'll fool yourself into thinking you're a better person. You're doing a few things better than you used to. You're, you're not doing this as much as you used to. Repentance is turning away from it, letting it go, cutting it off, and heading toward the direction that God wants you to go. Otherwise, you will continually be dragged back into it because by, by not turning completely away from it and letting it go, you are still tolerating what is going on in your life and you're letting it be. And you, you're trying to combine two things. Has that ever happened to you? Why can't I get rid of that? Why can't I let go of that? Well, quit looking at it. Quit going back to it. Quit comparing, do I want to go God's way or is this more fun to go this way? You, if you do that, it's just not going to happen unless the, God really grabs a hold of you and says, this is the way that you're going to go and God gives you the strength to do that. But you can't do it on your own. You can't try to be a little better. You can't try to be a little nicer. You can't try to quit doing it as much. It's either right or it's wrong. And if it's wrong, you've got to let it go. That's easier said than done. 
But let's not forget who gives us the power to do that. It's God. We're not on our own. Remember, this is the God who starts and says throughout these letters two words, I know. God knows. So, He can help us in the problems that we have. So, a lot of good things in this letter to this church and to the people who make up this church. And so, I would just ask us to think about things that would apply to our lives. And I'll just ask you straight out. What are sinful behaviors that you're involved in right now? And you know it's not right. But you're justifying it. You're making excuses. You're pretending like you're trying to pull away from it. You're telling other people that, that, that you're pulling away from it. But when you're in private, you're still right back at it just like you always have been and you think you've got everybody fooled. What are the things that are going on in your life? And, and you know, it doesn't have to be these huge things. You're thinking, well, I'm, you know, I'm pretty good here. I'm, I'm not going to the temple and with the temple prostitutes. And, you know, I'm good. I'm not going around having orgies with everybody like they were doing. And I'm not eating foods sacrificed to idols. What are the actions in your life that have got a hold of you and that you're, you just won't let go of. And they're interfering with your relationship with God. And you're, maybe there are places that you're choosing to put yourself. And as of yet, you haven't got into that behavior. But you're around it all the time. And you are tolerating what's going on. You are playing with fire if that's you. Because the longer you're a part of it, the easier it's going to be for you to be sucked into it. So I would just ask you, we're not going to have a formal invitation this morning. Uh, the band's not going to come up and play and, and play something so that you can respond. But I'm going to ask if you would just, as you're there, think about those things. What are the things that are going on in your life right now that you would just say, God, I'd really have to have your help to let me completely turn, repent from that, and head your way? And what are the issues and what are the things that may be in my life where I am tolerating stuff that I should not be tolerating? And ask God to give you the strength stand up for that and to repent of the toleration and to be able to head toward his way. If you just close your eyes with me, bow your heads if you need to. I'm going to give just a moment of silence and within your heart and your mind to God, if God has not already convicted you of something or brought something to mind, ask God if he would show you if there's anything in your life that you need to repent of. Ask God to show you if there's anything in your life by the way that you're living where you are tolerating sin and you need to stand up to that and pull away from that so that you're not trapped in it. Now, if you have something in mind, if God has brought something to mind right where you are between you and Him, ask God to forgive you of that and tell him today, you're going to repent of that and turn his way. Now, I want you to know if whatever it is, if you have said, there's anything that's going on in your life, God hears you. 
There doesn't have to be anything formal. Your decision sitting right where you are is just as valid as if you were at a Billy Graham crusade and Billy Graham gave an invitation and you went down front to some stage. God is interested in your heart and He hears you where you are. So know that He has heard you. Know that He is ready to forgive you. Know that if you've asked Him, He has forgiven you. And He's ready to see you head the way that He wants you to because He has a life planned for you that is unbelievable if we could just, and you could just let go of that stuff that hinders you. God, today, we thank you for the example that we have in this church in Thyatira. Some of the things that were mentioned Lord, the things that they were doing and tolerating were so blatantly obvious. A lot of us might would say, well, I would never let that go on if I would have been there. But Lord, if we just take a look in our lives, there's probably so many areas that we've just convinced ourselves that it's okay, that we really don't need to say anything, that it's not that big of a deal, it's not that big of a sin But Lord, I pray that you continue each day to prick our hearts and let us know where we're failing with you as far as being disobedient. And not in a way that brings us down, but a way that encourages us. Lord, that you love us. and That's why you make us aware of that. You don't want that for us. You've got better plans. And so each day, encourage us to live for you, to walk your way, and not to depend on our own strength but depend, to depend on you to help us. And we thank you for that, Lord. You're, you're so awesome that you give us chances and that you forgive us and you love us, even when we mess up. And Lord, we want to please you. We want our relationship with you to be the way that it needs to be so that our life can be full and our life can be free. And so thank you for hearing us today throughout this week. Continue to remind us of how much you care for us and what you want for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.